Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Prodigy is a production of iHeartRadio. When I tell people what I do for work, they say, that's really cool. How'd you get into it? And I tell them the truth. I got lucky. I really needed a different job and knew somebody when they were hiring. I didn't know much about audio when I first got started. I came from a video background, but I didn't know like what a compressor was or EQ or how to talk into a mic. My first month around the office was a little overwhelming, but I started to get to know some people Um, Tyler Klang was my executive producer and just a top-notch human being. The guys from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know were like celebrities to me. I was thrilled when they went out of their way to talk to me. I fangirled over Josh Clark and Chuck Bryant and even got to meet John Hodgman. Super nice dude, by the way. There was one guy who was pretty quiet, but really nice. I think I never saw him once without a hat. And I was personally offended to see him editing with his laptop's touchpad instead of a mouse. His name is Ben Kiebrick. Ben had more experience than me, but not that much. I mean, Tyler has like 10 years experience and has produced tons of top 10 shows. Josh and Chuck have hosted somewhere around 2,000 episodes of Stuff You Should Know and done literally over a billion downloads. When I first got to know Ben, he was on the true crime slate and working on the hit show Monster DC Sniper. It wasn't until much later that I found out he actually pitched that show. Ben seems to have a knack for this stuff. Months ago, he told me about a story he was working on, and when I heard the premise, I knew it would be a hit. It's already done over a million downloads and charted in the top 10. The show is called Algorithm. Here's the official description. When Africa Hardy was strangled in 2014, it seemed completely random. But it wasn't. It was part of a pattern. Four years earlier... Reporter Thomas Hargrove had created an algorithm to detect serial killers and flagged Gary, Indiana as the site of an unusual number of strangulations. But when Hargrove reached out to warn local police, he was ignored. Until Africa Hardy was murdered. And those cold cases suddenly didn't look so cold. Algorithm follows the investigation into Africa's murder, exposing the warnings that police ignored and uncovering more than anyone expected that a serial killer was strangling women in Gary, Indiana, 
could have been stopped, and that Africa Hardy should be alive today. This podcast will explore how technology can be used to identify and track serial killers, and how an algorithm can influence the way homicides are investigated all across the country. My name is Lowell Berlanti, and this is Prodigy. Since we're both vaccinated, I brought Ben into my home studio to talk about his new hit show, Algorithm. The next episode you'll see in my feed is the first episode, so you have an easy way to listen. The seventh episode drops today, so if you like the first one, head over to the Algorithm show page linked in the description and check out the rest. A friend sent this article about this journalist, Thomas Hargrove, who had created this algorithm to try to detect serial killers from, from FBI data. So most FBI data... They just give it at kind of the the county level or the police jurisdiction level. And it's like, there are this number of robberies, this are the percentage of them that we solved, and it's kind of this big aggregate data. Uh, But they created this thing called the Supplemental Homicide Report um, for researchers who wanted to study homicide. And again, they just thought it was for kind of statistical analysis. But this journalist, Thomas Hargrove, he's, he's an interesting dude. He's the son of a programmable calculator salesman. So I think he was introduced to the idea of programming at a much earlier time period and younger age than most people. He went to University of Missouri, which is one of the top journalism programs in the country. Um, he went there as an undergrad, and it was, there was this new movement starting called uh, computer-assisted reporting. This is back when they're doing like punch card programming kind of stuff. But the idea was you could use computers to really crunch numbers and do these kind of statistical analyses on like government records and things like that to try to detect trends and notice interesting patterns that you just might not miss if you're kind of just anecdotally looking at individual cases. So from that, he went on to be just like a crime reporter. That was kind of like his cutting his teeth job in, in journalism. And then um, his computer skills kind of got in handy with doing political polls. And he was actually um, kind of one of the early people to do the kind of like election night analysis kind of stuff. From there, he got a job as a, a national reporter and he would just do these kind of like big data driven stories And for one of them, uh, he had to request this FBI data, and they ended up just sending him that supplemental homicide report. And he's like, oh, like individualized data on crimes. Like, I didn't know this existed. Like, I didn't know this data set existed. And he says that one of the first thoughts he had was, I wonder if we can look at this data and use that to somehow detect serial killers, to look for patterns within this data. That was before the term serial killer existed, I remember from listening. So like what year, do you know approximately what year that was? I've left out a beat of the story, which is um, that was so in the 70s, uh, around the time of the Atlanta child murders, that was back when he was the crime reporter um, in Alabama. At that time, maybe they were calling them like lust killers or, or something like that. Serial killer at least wasn't widespread. This time as a crime reporter, he learned about this thing called linkage blindness, which is this idea that oftentimes cases get assigned, even if cases are connected, right? So the same person kills two people in an identical way, even if it's completely identical, the cases might just get assigned to different detectives um, or often will get assigned to different detectives because it's a lot of work 
to investigate a homicide. This is why people have been comparing your show to Mindhunter. Because, yeah, I guess that's like the same thing, but kind of from the behavioral analysis versus... Oh, yeah, huge compliment. Oh, that's a great show. (laughs) Appreciate it. Um, So so anyway, he, he learned from that about this idea of linkage blindness, that it's very hard for individual detectives to to connect these cases. And so when he saw this individualized data that the FBI had collected, he wondered, could an algorithm solve that problem? In the trailer, let's play that now. Don't think that you know everything about your child because there's something that they're not telling you. If I knew that this was going on, I would have went out there and brought my child back home. When Africa Hardy was murdered in 2014, it seemed completely random, but it wasn't. It was part of a pattern. Today, Indiana police say that seven women found murdered over the last few days may be victims of a serial killer. They weren't even looking, and seven women died. I at least knew that there was a serial killer active in Gary. I was assigned to do a really interesting story, and I needed the uniform crime report. Included on that CD was a file I had never heard of. What it was was line after line of individual murders. The first thought I had was, could we teach a computer to identify connected cases, to find serial killings? From iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV, this is Algorithm, a podcast investigating a modern serial killer and how he could have been stopped. The bodies, some of them found concealed in abandoned homes, had been there for months. This story has the potential to change how homicides are investigated all across the country. Because of her line of work, they didn't have time for her. They still believe that he has a trail of bodies from Texas all the way to Gary, Indiana. I don't think we still know how many women he's actually killed. I think the Gary Police Department should be looking at some of those old cases. They still may have a killer out there. This is Algorithm, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Why have the like many crimes been not been solved? I would assume that it's harder to get away with crime now than it was you know, I don't know, 50 years ago. There's a couple of theories. So, so one is maybe, so this is clearance rates for one. So it doesn't mean people have actually been convicted of the crime. It could be that they were just arrested, but then weren't actually convicted. So there's different ways of measuring clearance, but I think that stat is clearance to arrest. And so it's possible that, you know, in the 60s or something, these kind of good old boy policemen were just arresting some black guy who didn't actually commit the crime and either, um, you know, ending up incarcerating him for a crime he didn't do or letting him go later or something like that. That's probably part of what's going on. Another idea is that we've gotten better at um, kind of detecting domestic violence early on and kind of intervening. So we take stuff more seriously when it's just like physical abuse so as a result of that, there's we think that now there's less kind of um, spousal or domestic homicides. So domestic homicides are very easy to solve. So for preventing them, one then main suspect. Yeah, the, exactly. The ones that do get 
happen are harder to solve. Yeah, we're getting rid of the the cases that are easiest to solve, and we're left with more of the kind of stranger murders that are hard to solve. Um, you know, there there's ideas too that then there's an increase in gang homicides. Those are particularly hard to solve. Um, and then you know, I think some people think that there's something going on too with people being less willing to talk to the police, um, and that that when people aren't cooperating with the police, that makes things hard to solve. So I think there's this kind of cyclical problem that then when police have the attitude that they think people aren't going to talk to them, then they don't do the basic detective work to ask people to talk to them. And then when they're not doing the detective work, then people trust the police less. So there's a, a researcher I talked to who is kind of, this is the people not talking to the police. It's, it's laid out in this book called um, Ghetto Side. I think it's a badly named book, but a good book by this um, LA reporter who covered crime for a long time. And she kind of embedded with the, the LA PD, which is another kind of controversial <laughs> uh, police department for sure. Um, and I, I talked to a researcher who kind of reading that book spurred her to do research into this. And if I remember her her research correctly, it's kind of this interesting study. So they look at lawsuits of basically police, black police officers alleging that their police departments discriminated against them in hiring. And so there were these federal lawsuits for that, but they really caused these reckonings for these police departments uh, regarding kind of all racial issues. And they show that kind of once that stuff happens, then you see stuff like now police start responding to 911 calls from their like black constituents more quickly. And then you see that like the attitude, the trust between the police and the community gets a lot better. So anyway, the, the police blames the community, the community blames the police. But when these things kind of force police to start acting better, the community notices and become more cooperative. That's great. And so explain w exactly what an algorithm is. An algorithm is just a set of rules to do something, right? So it's, it's you're trying to create a systematized thing to solve some, some problem. Um, I use the, the metaphor in the show that like a, a recipe is essentially an algorithm. So it's like uh, you want to you want a pancake. If you follow these steps correctly, you will get a pancake. You know, pretty much a hundred percent of the and time. And then AI is essentially an algorithm, but it just has like a lot more variables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and so a lot of what we think about now as algorithms are actually kind of like two embedded algorithms. So when we talk about the things like the Google algorithm or the Instagram algorithm or something like that. You know, we're we're trying to make an algorithm not just to display something to you, but but that kind of like feeds back on itself. And you know, it's, the algorithm is trying to maximize you doing a thing. AI or kind of like machine learning is another term for these kind of algorithms that that change themselves depending on the the feedback that they're getting. All right, let's take a quick break to analyze the data. Be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to Prodigy. Do you think that like algorithm has the potential to change crime solving? Because it seems like we're it's like the first step towards a minority report. You know, just solving cold cases is incredibly hard. And so so the algorithm can identify cold cases that might be connected, but in terms of kind of what you do with that information, I think it's a little harder, right? So maybe you want to warn people in the victim profile, like, hey, there might be a serial killer out here. I was thinking there would be like new evidence, you know, that, that you could add to the case. And Yeah, 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 potentially. But, but then I think maybe another thing it could do now is spur, like these cases might be connected. Do we have DNA on them that has been sitting there? Let's analyze all this DNA, see if the DNA can prove the connection. And, and if that's the case, you know, maybe spend all the time and resources to do the kind of forensic genealogy analysis, which is really time consuming and expensive. But in the case of a serial killer, you know, like if they're still out there. Yeah. Um, like you think you'll ever solve who the Zodiac was? <laughs> I mean, the the big question was, is there kind of DNA sitting somewhere. I think they tried to run the DNA analysis on the stamps and it seems to have come up negative. That was all kind of rumor mill stuff because it's an open case. So you can't get access to those documents. Um, well, smart uh, serial killers like Kaczynski, don't they like plant red herrings, like fake stuff? I, I, yeah, I think there was like, you know, some of the Zodiac conspiracy theories are like oh yeah that he got was. someone else or, or no well that too but that like you know like he just took it you know it's like you hear these stories like you got someone else to lick the stamps or something and it's like well i don't think anyone really knew like like maybe dna existed at that point like oh, we knew about point. the double helix but i don't think anyone was talking about oh, right, applying right. it to forensics at that point or anything right but, okay 
Yeah. So, uh, wow. That's so. What, what's going on with it now? Like, I mean, have people have has things have they started integrating this stuff? Because I know this case. I mean, Hargrove's still alive. I mean, it's still yeah, alive. yeah. And so, so that's that's kind of one of the things that spurred me. Like when I heard this story, it's like, why isn't why isn't this a bigger deal? Yeah. Has nobody, you, did you first search to see that no one had done a podcast on it? Yeah. Or? <laughs> well, yeah. It was one of those things where you're like, surely someone yeah. has done this. And I'm still not exactly sure. You know, I think it is. It is. He's a little bit of a weird dude. It's a little bit of an out there idea. Doesn't seem like it now, right? With big data and stuff, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So it's less of an out there idea than it was. Um, you know, I think the police department. I think they see it maybe as like, you know, like who is this guy? Like, what does he know about solving crime? And and again, it's not a magic bullet. It's not an alternative. It's just for, another tool. You ex- know? Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I, I think maybe some of the press reports that it's gotten, you know, have kind of like sensationalized it, and then like people just don't. We won't really need police after this. Uh, we'll just send drones to arrest people with <laughs> algorithms. Like, no, it's just like a tool to help them connect things when there's a crap ton of data, right? Yeah, and and so you know, and I think it's there's probably a culture thing where, you know, Hargrove is writing these letters to police departments talking about multivariate analysis and whatever, whatever, and he just sounds like some crank and, you know. Also, people don't like to know, like, get new information. They're like, I'm an expert on this. I don't want some random person telling me. But, I mean, like, we had the same thing with, like, uh, electronic medical records and, like, convincing doctors to do that and, like, trying to get, you know, there's this drive to get Watson AI to kind of help data mine stuff from people's patient records to try to make connections in medicine and oh, okay i was thinking it was like so i can't fill my prescription three times at different <laughs> pharmacies well they had to do that in florida too <laughs> right oh yeah it's the pain medicine but uh but you know i think like even a field like medicine where people are very like educated and stuff like that it's just everyone's kind of set in their ways and they have their systems and they know all of the potential problems for something like this. And, you know, I, I think one of the the issues for, we, we don't collect very good data in policing too. And it's just like a lot of detectives, especially homicide detectives, other parts of policing might be overfunded. I think there's a lot of predatory policing stuff with like gangs and drugs and stuff like that. Those are money makers for police departments often because if you bust a drug dealer, you can seize the the money that they have on them and actually bring it into your police department, which we need to get rid of that. Yeah, That's it seems like, like an incentive to yeah, it's uh, horrible incentives for police. <laughs> well, and it's also incentives to expand those departments, but not expand your your homicide department or your your sexual assault um, department. Potentially, we could do all this great stuff if we collected better data put it into databases, you know, just so detectives have that themselves to to look at. But it's just, you know, you're asking someone to fill out another form and they're not going to see the benefit of doing it maybe until six months down the line when the connected crime happens. So, it's so we just, need to monetize it then, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We need to fund it specifically or, or figure out a way that kind of that data automatically gets generated while they do the thing they're already doing. I don't think it's going to take off APIs if you, yeah, make them spend an extra half an hour filling out a form oh, or something. I mean, like, it's yeah. one of those problems. I mean, with Airtable, <laughs> yeah. oh, with us, like, like, I definitely understand. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. What was like? What's some of the one of the cool things that you learned about it? Like something that you would you know hook somebody in that's interested in listening. I mean, so one of the things I'd never really, I hadn't thought that much about is, you know, I first came across this story reading, you know, the Wikipedia page, these articles about it. You know, I went and read every newspaper article. A lot of those articles, it's based on whatever few public documents there are out there. So in this case, it was the warrant for for the arrest of this guy who is the kind of primary suspect in, in Africa's murder. And, you know, that's something the police are just trying to throw together as quickly as possible. So, you know, it's like so there are parts of it that are ambiguously written that then the reporters reading it misinterpreted and then they wrote it up and it's, it kind of turns into this like game of telephone. And I'm not blaming the reporters. I mean, or the police. It's like everyone is just doing their best to turn around this stuff. But but then that kind of got ingrained in the lore and you see it repeated a bunch of times. And then in this case, it was this highly publicized case right when it happened. So the judge put a gag order on the case where people weren't allowed to talk about it or leak documents or, or anything. Um, and actually, I think that gag order is still in place, um, which is kind of highly unusual. They did end up releasing to me certain documents despite that gag order, but I know I'm the first person to get my hands on this doc- these documents because it was a big back and forth about whether they could release anything and what they could release. And some city lawyer had to go through every document and redact stuff. And... Oh, cool. So that's in, later on in the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Excited. Yeah, getting there. Getting there pretty soon. So Yeah, no, it's been it, great. I think the story zigs and zags in some unusual ways. You know, I was really impressed by how you handled, you know, speaking to the, you know, survivors. <laughs> like, that's a, a tough thing to do, I'm sure. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, what, what, was, what was it like going from, like, uh, behind the mic to in front of the mic? Yeah, I mean... So I've been in front of the mic before. So when I was a reporter at um, at this radio station in in Kansas, High Plains Public Radio in in Garden City, Kansas, I'd, I'd been I'd talked into a mic, but there I feel like I was just kind of this like, you know, I guess named but like faceless reporter who is just giving you facts and stuff like that. And yeah, because this is a big a big show. Yeah, and and. Two ended up kind of including some of the actual interviews with these people, like you mentioned, um, victims, family members, surviving family members. So kind of one of the early interviews in um, when I was still figuring out if I was going to do this show is with this murder victim, Africa Hardy, um, her mother. Anyway, so it, it is, yeah, it's it feels vulnerable to just put the moments where you're just talking to them versus this narrated stuff that you've written and agonized over. and um, It's weird because people always seem to respond better to that organic stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> like, and you're like, I spent all this time making this perfect. And they're yeah, like, exactly. Like that. <laughs> and, and I think the battle with writing is trying to make it sound organic while still conveying all the things you need it to say. Oh, God, yeah. Especially there's big words. I'm like, if I say it too fast, no one will understand like all the words I'm saying. But yeah, no, I get that. It's tough. Definitely tough. Yeah, it's but, but so anyway, it's it, it has been a little bit humbling because it's like I've been interviewing all of these people and, you know, they're 
in even less control because they're not even editing it. They're just handing it off to me and they, they trust me. And I think putting myself in a little bit of the limelight, I think I'm hoping it will make me more sensitive going forward when I'm reaching out to people and interviewing them. Um, yeah, it's just a reminder <laughs> of how nerve wracking that is. So done it a bit myself. That's not easy at all. You've done a friggin' amazing job. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to listen to the rest of the show. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. thanks for talking with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks so much to Ben Kiebrick. The next episode of my feed will be the first episode of Algorithm. I love the show and I'm fully caught up. New episodes drop on Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Prodigy. I really appreciate the messages I get from you guys. I have a bunch of new episodes coming on subjects like UFO sightings, Navy SEALs, money, cults, and a bunch more. Prodigy was created and produced by me, Lowell Berlanti. The executive producer is Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.